By way of introduction, my name is Rob. I am the lead pastor here at Citizens Church. And if you're visiting with us, thank you for visiting. There are, there's a small gift for you. There's coffee mugs either back there or on the table out front. If you haven't gotten one of those, feel free to snag one. Um, and if you're curious about where the restrooms are or anything like that, they are just right back there in that corner. But we are in Mark chapter 13, and we're in verses 14 through 23 this morning. We took a break because we were going through an Advent series, we went through Songs of the Nativity. And so we did that throughout the month of December. And now that we are in January, we're picking up right where we left off in Mark, in Mark chapter 13. As we start this new year, one of the things that I tried to do at the end of last year is just think through what all happened in 2021. You guys probably did something very similar, whether implicitly um, or directly, just taking some time intentionally to do that. And I was amazed at all that the Lord did in 2021, far more than even I had anticipated. I'm very grateful for that. As I think about 2022 and what all may be coming in 2022, be nice just to just know. What, what's 2022 going to have? Good or bad, just, just let me know. Sometimes it's, it's nice to think that way and be nice to, to have those answers. Whether you're at the beginning of the year, whether you're just in life, there's always the, the question of, man, if I could just know what's coming, that would be great. That would be helpful. But we don't have that privilege. We're not omniscient. We can't see the future. However, in this passage... Jesus does that very thing for his disciples. He lets them know what's to come. And as I was preparing for this passage, I thought, man, there are so many different understandings of these verses, of these 10 verses. Right before I came up here, Ben tapped me on the shoulder. He said, good luck with this passage. <laughs> Thanks. So here we are. The, one of the most intimidating passages, looking at the book of Mark, one of the ones that um, can have various different understandings and do. But I, like any good pastor, will put forward to you what I think this passage says and try to be as faithful to the text as it is. But it is easy, one of the temptations with this text is it's easy for us to get caught up in the gray area and miss what the main point of the text is. Now, I'd submit to you that the main point of this text, just so you know, just lodge it in your brain as we go through the rest of this passage, that the main point is that because Satan uses many things to lead people astray, because he uses many things, God's people must always be on guard. Satan has all kinds of things in his tool belt to lead people astray. And Jesus covers a few of them in this passage. However, God's people must always be on guard. And as we head into this new year, Lord willing, the things that Jesus talks about being on guard against here will help equip us to live faithfully in a new year, in 2022. So some background for those joining us. We've been going through the book of Mark for over a year now. We started in December of 2020. Now we find ourselves in January of 2022. And we are almost done with this book, but we've been going passage by passage, just letting the text speak for itself. And one of the primary themes, the primary theme that we keep seeing in the book of Mark is that it's God restoring his wayward people back to himself. God restoring his wayward people. And he does this through 
Jesus Christ. This book is written by John Mark. It was written in the 50s or 60s AD. That's good to, re- to remember as we go through this passage because we'll talk about an event that happened in 70, 70 AD. So this is written right before that. And in Mark 12, which we spent some time in, we saw Jesus going back and forth with religious leaders. They were asking him all kinds of various questions, trying to trip him up. And he kept responding in ways that would silence them. And then when he asked them a question, it silenced them. And then the last time we were in Mark, we were in verses 1 through 13 of this chapter. And it was the disciples and Jesus leaving the temple. And they had just gone, had their big back and forth all day with the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, just had his back and forth. Now they're leaving, and as they're leaving, we see in 13 verse 1, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, they're looking at the temple, and what wonderful buildings. And here's Jesus' response. He said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus is already, at the beginning of this chapter, preparing to tell his disciples that this amazing temple that you're looking at, this incredible structure, every stone on it is going to be thrown down. And the disciples are fascinated. They want to know, how are we going to know when this is going to happen? Because this is going to be some type of massive event. And so now we see ourselves in this next passage, verses 14 through 23, the one for today, of him talking about things to look out for, things that will happen. So Jesus, in this passage, covers three topics. He covers, the abom- he covers abominations, tribulations, and then false leaders, false prophets, false saviors, false Christs. And then he says, at the very end, you can see in verse 23, he says, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So everything that he's telling them, he wraps it up with a bow at the end and says, you need to be on guard. Be on guard from these things. And so we see in your bulletin there that we are to be on guard against abominations, on guard against tribulations, and on guard against false leaders. So what does it mean to be on guard against these various things? Well, we'll get in there, but first let's take some time to, to pray and ask the Lord to lead our time. Father, we come before you grateful for the gift that it is to gather. Lord, we know many are sick right now and we know that many are out of town, but we are grateful that you have given us a place to gather, that you have given us a body to gather with. God, we pray that you would guide us as we look at this passage, verses 14 through 23 of the book of Mark, chapter 13. Lord, we ask that you would grant us understanding. Help me speak faithfully. Lord, we pray for Veritas Community Church as they had to cancel their gatherings this morning because of COVID, not because of the new year or anything like that, but because so many people, even in leadership, caught COVID. And Lord, we're grateful that this recent strand is less severe, but God, we do pray that you would just end COVID, that 
you would bring it to a swift end. And Lord, if that's not your will, we pray that it would get increasingly less potent and less dangerous. God, we pray for those who have it, that they would recover and they'd recover quickly. God, we pray that Veritas would be able to gather next week. We pray for Proclamation Church in Mount Vernon. Lord, thank you for these other churches that are proclaiming the gospel. We ask that you would give them fruit. We ask that you would bless their ministries. We ask that people would be converted and that disciples would be made. We pray the same thing for Substance Church in Ashland. Thank you for these churches. Thank you for brothers and sisters who preach the same gospel. And God, we ask that this passage that we're looking at would equip us for this year. We know that it's just another day on a calendar. But God, as we look at a new calendar, as we think about things that we want to try to do this year, things that we would like to stop doing this year, we ask that our priority would be Christ and that this passage would remind us of that and would help us in that endeavor. Guide us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first point in your bulletin, be on guard against abominations. Before we even get there, I'd like to make some caveats. I've already made a few, but one of the things that I like to do in my study is see how other faithful men have handled this text. And as I was looking at how Martin Lloyd-Jones, the minister of Westminster Chapel in London for nearly 30 years, how he handled it, he started off by saying this to the group that he was teaching. He was describing how many mighty Christians have had different interpretations on this. And after doing that, he says, if any attending shall be a little less certain or dogmatic than they were at the beginning of my talk, I shall be pleased. He says, if any who came in here who are dogmatic and certain about how this is to be handled. It's like if at the end of my talk, they're a little less dogmatic and a little less certain, I shall be pleased. And so with that caveat, let's jump in to this passage. Look with me in verse 14. We see when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Now it's helpful as we look at this to see verse 14 when it says, but when you see And to partner that with verse 7 earlier in the passage that says, and when you hear. So Jesus is already, as he's explaining to his disciples, says you're going to hear things. And he gives a list. He says you're also going to see things. So it's helpful for us to recognize what Jesus is doing here. But when he talks about the abomination of desolation, we need some definitions. Because this phrase is one that can trip a lot of us up. So abomination. Abomination is that which God hates or disdains. So anything that God hates or disdains, he calls an abomination. We see several examples of this throughout the Old Testament law. We see unclean animals being sacrificed. That's an abomination. We see that in Leviticus 7. We see images of other gods in Deuteronomy 7. That's also considered an abomination. And there's several other things. You do a quick word search and you can see all kinds of things that the Lord calls an abomination. The things that he disdains. Or he hates. Some may say that squash is an abomination, or depending on your certain proclivity towards certain foods, I particularly hate acorn squash. There's a few things that I hate, but acorn squash 
is an abomination. God has his list of things that are abominations. Now, what does desolation mean? Desolation is another way of saying destruction. Utter destruction. Not just destruction, but utter destruction. If you have ever looked up, whether in history class or just on your own time, looked up some images of Hiroshima after the bombings. See some of those images. That would be a good image to get in your head for desolation. Utterly desolated. And so when we see abomination of desolation, we're seeing that there's something that God hates or disdains that brings about destruction, brings about desolation. And now some areas where we see this throughout the text, because we've got to do a little bit of background here to understand what's happening. We see Matthew 24, in, in Matthew's version of this gospel, he's saying the same thing, but he gives a little bit extra detail, which is helpful. Matthew 24, verse 15, he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Okay, so there's a helpful hint. Okay, so this abomination of desolation has something to do with something Daniel said, the prophet Daniel. So let's look at what Daniel said. Daniel says in chapter 8 of Daniel that there's a transgression that makes desolate and that the sanctuary will be trampled underfoot. So there's going to be a, a transgression that makes desolate and it'll lead to the sanctuary, the temple, being trampled underfoot. Chapter 9 says, And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Chapter 11, he says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So there's the regular burnt offerings that are pleasing to God will be taken away by this individual and a offering will be made that is an abomination to him and will bring destruction. Ezekiel 44, 9 says, Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, shall enter my sanctuary. So when we talk about the sanctuary being trampled underfoot, talk about someone standing where they ought not to be. So this person who's standing where he shouldn't be is probably standing in the sanctuary because we see Ezekiel saying that no foreigner shall enter my sanctuary. And then there's going to be a some type of sacrifice, some type of offering given that the Lord hates. That's an abomination. You see that in this verse, verse 14. And you see him standing where he ought not to be. Now, this is where there are different understandings. So we've come to this understanding, and now it's where it breaks off. Okay, and you've got faithful people in different camps that understand this different ways. It doesn't mean that they're heretics, that they don't agree with the, what I'm getting ready to lay before you. However, looking at this, this these are some options that I'm going to put before you. So option number one is in B.C. 168. So this is after Daniel's prophecy. So Daniel's prophecy, he tells us about this person who's coming. It's going to set up this abomination. This, that's going to bring about destruction. And then, 168 BC, we see an individual by the name of Antiochus IV. He also called himself Epiphanes. This person, this individual, went into the temple. He was frustrated with the Jews. And so he went into their temple. He was not a Jew himself, so he's uncircumcised. 
He goes into the temple, the place where he ought not to be, and he built an altar to Zeus. And on that altar, he sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal. So we see this person standing where he ought not to be, the temple, putting forth an abomination of a sacrifice. So there's an abomination of a false god, gods being worshipped that are not the true and living god, Yahweh, Zeus is what this Antiochus IV is worshiping, and a terrible offering of a pig, an unclean animal. So this is an abomination to God. There's option one. Option two, and the problem with option one, is that Jesus is now saying that these things are going to happen. Well, 168 B.C. is before Christ. So this hap- all these things happened before him. So the people that he's talking to likely have an understanding of this Antiochus cat who did these things in 168 B.C. And Jesus is saying these things are to come. And so now, how do we handle that? So option two is, we said earlier that Mark was written in the 50s or the 60s A.D. Now, in 66 A.D., there was the beginning of what's called the Jewish War between the Jews and the Romans. And in A.D. 70... So three to four years after this war starts, we see the Roman general Titus. He and his armies enter into the city with carved images of their gods as they enter in. And then he enters the temple around Passover. And so the city would have been full. This is peak population right now because it's around Passover. So even the Jews who were not living in Jerusalem would have come to Jerusalem for Passover. And so they enter the city right around Passover. They continue to let people come in but then they don't let people leave. And what happens is that while the gates are shut, they absolutely destroy the city and they destroy the temple. They desolate it. And they end the Jewish war in AD 70 by slaughtering 1.1 million Jews that died either by the sword or by slow starvation because they would not let them out of the city. And so they destroyed the temple, they killed many, and then those who they left alive, they just slowly starved. Now, Jesus, in talking about all of this, he says, when you see this individual standing where he ought not to be, so when you see these things happening, he says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down. So the rooftops there were typically flat and there's kind of like a sitting area, almost like a porch. So if you're on your housetop, you're sitting up there, don't even go down. Go down the outside ladder. You need to go. It, this is a sense of urgency. It says, don't enter your house. Don't take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. Now, their winters weren't like ours. We get snow sometimes. However, their winters, the, the rivers would be higher. And so it would be tougher to travel. And so if women are pregnant or if they're nursing and they're trying to cross over high waters, it's much more difficult. But Jesus is saying, when you see these things happening, don't don't just wait around. Leave. Flee to the mountains. And now when the Roman general Titus entered into the city and when he desecrated the temple and tore it down, there were, I said, 1.1 million Jews that were killed. However, many Christians were spared because they remembered what Jesus said about not waiting around and just fleeing to the, 
to the mountains. And so they left, they got out of there, and many were spared. So we see a couple options historically. 168 BC with Antiochus. We see an option with AD 70, where Jesus, even later in this chapter, Mark 13, says all these things will take place before this generation passes away. Typical generation didn't live 70 or 80 years like, like ours today, but they would live about 40 years. So Jesus is saying this somewhere during his ministry, which was about 30, 31, 32 B, or AD. And so 40 years later, that generation would not have passed away and they would have seen these things take place. However, like most eschatological or end time language, there is a near fulfillment and there's also a long-term fulfillment. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, I won't read all of them, but it talks about this man of lawlessness. We see him again in Revelation. And so these things, to wrap a bow on this, these things that are taking place that are dishonorable to God, that bring about destruction, they did take place. We see this in 168 BC. We see it again in AD 70. However, they are foreshadows to a greater abomination that will take place when the man of lawlessness appears. We don't know when that will happen. However, it would be silly for us to not recognize that Daniel's prophecy came true. That what Jesus is talking about, how these things won't take place until this generation passes away, he was right. That generation didn't pass away and a lot of those things happened. However, we also can't just write off the fact that these are, these could be foreshadows to an even greater abomination that takes place, to an even greater destruction that is coming onto those who do dishonorable practices against God. So this morning, as we look at this text, what we need to pull from these first couple verses is that Jesus cares for his people enough to tell them, look, this is what's coming. And we have it here. We have access to it. His living word telling us this is what is to come. Be on guard. Dishonorable worship is always, in every generation, a threat to God's people. And so therefore, we must be alert and on guard against it. Jesus warned his people because he loves them. He cares for them. If you are in Christ, he is giving you this so that you can be prepared. What a kind Savior, what a kind King we serve. But a question, even as we go into this new year, that we need to ask ourselves is, are we trusting Jesus' words? Many of the Christians in that day were spared because they trusted Jesus' words and they fled to the mountains. And they weren't among those who were trapped inside the city. Are we trusting Jesus' words? Heaven and earth will pass away. Cities will pass away. Careers, jobs, individuals, wealth, they will all pass away. But Jesus' words will never pass away. Matthew 24 tells us that. And so there's a sense of urgency that we see in verses 15 through 18 that Jesus puts on, that he tells us that it is an urgent matter to trust him. It may not feel like an urgent matter right now as we sit in a 
room or in an air temperature controlled room. So we don't feel the Roman army, armies beating on the door trying to either slaughter or lock us in so that we starve slowly. It may not feel urgent, but the truth is we don't know what tomorrow has. We don't know if we will see 2023. We don't know if we will see January 3rd, 2022. There's a sense of urgency of trusting Jesus' words today. Church, abomination, dishonorable worship, dishonorable practices brings desolation, brings destruction. And so we as a, as a church need to be on guard against abominations or dishonorable practices that may creep in, whether that be in our worship, whether that be in our discipleship, whether that be in our fellowship, we must worship God the way that He commands us to. It's easy to, to baptize certain practices because we have good motives or good intentions or the, the ends justify the means. We can, we can reach more people. But look, God has told us how we are to worship Him. And He's told us that when we worship Him in ways that are not how He commanded us, it's abominable in His sight. And abomination brings desolation. It brings destruction. So let's be on guard against abominations that could, even today, creep into the church and families. Again, abomination brings desolation. So if we want our families to flourish, we must prioritize what God prioritizes. If we want our families to be spiritually desolate, then let's prioritize that which God views as dishonorable. But if you want your family to flourish... We must prioritize what God prioritizes. We must worship Him the way that He has commanded His people to worship. And so we see that we must, as a people, be on guard against abominations. But then Jesus covers another topic, starting in verse 19. He says, be on guard against tribulations. He says, for in those days, there will be such tribulation. It will be so bad, He says, that as that. It has not been that bad from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. He says it'll be so bad in those days that it'll be like nothing that God's people have ever seen. And we see that this desolation is, in fact, followed by horrible persecution. If you look at the desolation of the temple in AD 70, right after that, we said 1.1 million people were killed. The historian Josephus writes about this. He gives us a picture of what it was like. So here's what he writes to to paint the scene. He says, Then did the famine widen its progress and devoured the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children dying of starvation. The lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the aged. The children and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows all swelled with famine and starvation and fell down dead wheresoever their misery seized them. As for burying them, those that were sick themselves were not able to do it. And those that were hardy and well were deterred by the great multitude of the dead and the uncertainty when they would die themselves. For many died as they were burying others and many went to their own coffins before that fatal hour. 
There was no lamentation made under these calamities. The famine confounded all natural passions, and a deep silence and a kind of deadly night had seized upon the city. This is a tribulation unlike any that God's people had seen before when the Roman general Titus came in and slaughtered the people and those who he didn't, whom they didn't slaughter, they left for starvation. They kept them locked in the city. They destroyed the temple. And so you can see Jesus is warning his people that this is coming. In less than 40 years, you're going to see something unlike you have ever seen before. But then, he says in verse 20, If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So this passage, praise God, not complaining, has a lot of phrases that are highly debated. One we talked about was the abomination of desolation. And now we're at another one, the elect. So what is the elect? This is a hotly debated topic. You may have heard the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. And let's just put it out there. There are crazies on both sides. Probably ran into some. But both sides agree that the elect are God's chosen people. That's a definition that they would both agree on. The question, the debatable topic, is when or why God chooses these people. Why did he choose them? Or when did he choose them? Before they were converted or after they were converted? And we're not going to get into all of that this morning. So if you would like to do a deep dive on that, please feel free and feel free to ask me questions. I am a little bit more persuaded by the Calvinist argument. I'll just put that out there. However, you do not need to be a Calvinist to be a member here at Citizens Church. You have to affirm our statement of faith. Our statement of faith doesn't take a hard stance on this. However, what it does take a hard stance on is Article 11, which is the perseverance of the saints. And so when we see this instance of God shortening the days for the sake of his elect, he is ensuring their perseverance. The Lord does not lose any of his sheep. He may put them through difficult days but he does not lose any of them. We see the parable of the shepherd going after the one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 to go get the one. That's a sheep. That's not a goat. That's a sheep. He's going to bring that Christian back. He completes the good work that he starts in his people. Philippians 1.6. He doesn't start it and then leave them to do their own thing and maybe they make it or maybe they don't. He completes that good work. Similar to the the good soil versus the rocky soil, which we saw in Mark 4. There are those who the seed, the gospel seed was scattered on rocky soil. And so they sprouted up. They showed signs. They made a profession of faith. They showed signs of, of being followers of Jesus. But then when the text says when tribulations came in, they fell away. The only soil in that parable of Mark 4 that is depicted as followers of Jesus is the good soil where the seed is sown and it sprouts up and it is strong. And so there may be those who make professions of faith. There may be those who, who seem to have all of the quote-unquote fruit of a Christian, but they may fall away because that soil was rocky. And so when God here, when Jesus is talking about how he 
how God shortened the days for the sake of his elect, he is ensuring their perseverance, that his people will not fall away. He knows how much they can take. Severe trials can cause anybody to question their faith. Therefore, we must be aware that severe trials are not uncommon for the Christian. We see here these millions of people killed. We see Jesus preparing his people for tribulations. We see all throughout the New Testament the way that the apostles ended up living and dying was lots and lots of persecution. If you want to have an interesting read, just Google how each of the disciples ended up dying. If you're a follower of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised by tribulation or by trials. But here's what you can hold on to. is that God will see you through them. Jesus, who had no sin, experienced tribulation. And God saw him through. And if God saw him through, even in his death, if you are united to him, then he will also see you through. If you are in Christ, there is no amount of tribulation that will be able to overtake you. It may cost you your life. There may be tribulation that ends your life, but that tribulation doesn't get the final word if you are in Christ. You are raised to life where those things can never touch you again. This is the good news. This is why we as Christians can suffer as those who have hope. We can go through terrible tribulations and our happiness may be taken away, but our joy does not need to be taken away. Because we are united to the one who experienced the greatest tribulation and overcame it. So therefore, we can face any tribulation knowing that if Christ was raised from his, we will be raised from ours. If you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you're wondering what all of this means, maybe you're considering Christianity, maybe you're kicking it around, maybe you just have some questions, I would ask you to consider just for a moment. When you suffer, what is your hope? When you go through valleys, when you go through tribulations, what is your hope? So we see Jesus telling us to be on guard. He talks about the abominations that we need to be on guard against, dishonorable practice, dishonorable worship. He talks about tribulation. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. And now we see him talk about being on guard against false teachers. So look at me in verse 21. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So one of the things that Jesus tells us to be on guard against is, are those who point to false saviors, false Christs, false messiahs. Those who are false teachers, they say, this is where you can have your hope. This will never fail you. This is where you can find salvation. This is where happiness is. This is where joy is. Anyone who is pointing to something out there and it's not Christ is considered a false prophet or a false teacher. And Jesus says, 
be aware of those. They're out there. He even says they'll do wonderful signs and miracles. They will be persuasive. They will speak well. They will look good. These, these false prophets will not come across in a Sith Lord dark hood with a raspy voice. They'll look attractive. And they'll speak persuasively. And it will not be as black and white as we would like for it to be. But Jesus is telling us, be aware. There will be people who say, this, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. Don't be led astray by them. There are things, there are people that we put our hope in. And if we find ourselves this morning putting our hope in a, in a person other than Christ, or a thing other than Christ's finished work, then we are putting our hope in a false Savior, in a false Messiah. And he says to, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. We've already talked about this, so I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. But we know that it, it's not possible for the elect to be led astray long term. It is possible short term. Where God's people may for a brief period of time embrace something that is not true. But if they are in Christ, he will complete the work that he started. And he will bring them back. And so church... We have the opportunity to pray for those who seem to have fallen astray, who have fallen away from following Christ, who made a profession at one time, but now they're, they're not following Jesus. We should be praying that God would either save them for the first time or bring them back to Him. But you can rest knowing that if they ever were a Christian, He will bring them back because He will finish the good work that He started. He does not leave a work unfinished. False teachers and false saviors will lead many astray. We need to be on guard against this. We need to be aware of it. So therefore, as we go into this new year, we need to know what the truth is. We need to know the true prophet and the true savior. We need to know him deeply. Make that a priority. Maybe that's a Bible reading plan. Maybe that's intentionally just spending a certain amount of time in the word or in prayer. But one of the best ways, one of the most effective ways to know Christ outside of your own personal spiritual disciplines, one of the best ways is being united to his body. So we as a church need to be united to one another. We need to be able to have relationships where we can recognize what's going on in the other person's life, perhaps before they even say it. Hey brother, I noticed you seem off. Is everything okay? Sister, the way that you were talking earlier just just doesn't seem like you. What's going on? You should have deep relationships for the sake of following Christ more faithfully. So what are we trusting in this morning? Can that thing, whatever you're trusting in for your security, whatever thing keeps your anxiety away, whatever that thing is, is that Christ? if it's something other than Christ, then you may be following, perhaps not wholeheartedly, but perhaps partially, a false Savior. We need to confess those things to God. Lord, help, help me not follow this thing over here. This might be a good thing, might be a gift, but help me follow you to where if I lose that thing, if I lose that person, if I lose that material item, if I lose that job, 
I'm okay. Because I have you. Finley, one of her favorite things, my three-year-old Finley, one of her favorite things is to go on walks. And she has a lot of energy when we go on walks. She has a lot of energy just in general. But especially when we go outside and go, on, go for walks. And one of the things that we've tried to just, just beat into her head is watch for cars. Watch for cars. Don't run out in the street. Hold mommy or daddy's hand when we cross the street. Before we cross, hey, are there any cars over there? Any cars over there? Okay, can we go? Yes, let's go. Because I love her. I care for her. I want her to live. I don't want her to be harmed. In the same way, our good shepherd has told us these things ahead of time so that we can be aware of them, so that we don't step out into the street and get blindsided. He has told us these things so that we can be on guard. She says in that final verse of this passage, be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. I have told you of the cars that are in the road that you need to look out for. There are abominations. There are tribulations. There are false prophets, false Christs. Be aware of these things because Satan uses many of them to lead people astray. Therefore, we must always be on guard. So as we go into 2022, stand firm. Be on guard against the ways that Satan will try to lead God's people astray. The only way to do this is to recognize our own frailty and our own dependence on one who is stronger. See, Jesus warned his people with urgency. And his warnings came true. And he also warned of two other things, at least two other things. He said, one, that judgment is coming, that he will return to judge the living and the dead. We see this in 2 Timothy 4. He's told us that. And two, he's told us that we can be restored to the Father. He told us about these things in this passage to look out for, and by him warning his people, many were saved in A.D. 70. They fled to the mountains. And now he tells us more things that he is coming back to judge the living and dead, and we can be restored to the Father. However, he says in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We can trust Jesus' words. If we want to be restored back to God, the only way is through Christ. Just as there were and are abominable works, that lead to desolation, that lead to destruction, just as there were and are and will be tribulations that seem unbearable, just as there were and are false teachers who are persuasive, Jesus, on the flip side of that, performs a more honorable work. There were abominations and dishonorable works. Jesus performs a more honorable work that doesn't lead to desolation. His honorable work leads to life. Jesus endured the greatest tribulation that we could ever experience, separation from God the Father because of our sin. Jesus endured that, despite having no sin himself, so that we could be restored, so that we don't have to endure that greatest tribulation. Jesus is the true teacher whom we can trust, the true prophet, the true Savior, just as there are false prophets and false saviors and false Christs, Jesus is the true one. Trust him. The only way we're going to be on guard is if we are united to Christ. 
trust Him as we head into 2022. Make Christ a priority. Know Him deeply. Know the true Savior. Confess your sin to Him. Make repentance a daily habit. Confess areas where you've fallen short. And trust Jesus and His finished work to take that sin away and for Him to give you the righteousness needed to be restored to God. This is the good news that we get to celebrate year in, year out, 2021, 2022, and Lord willing, all the 2020s after that. The Lord has provided a way for us to be restored. That no matter what we face, abominations, tribulations, false teachers, we have one who is true, one who has endured on our behalf and provides life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for providing us with a true Savior. Help us to know him deeply, especially this year as we head into a new year. Help us to be on guard, to be aware of the ways that Satan wants to destroy us. And help us not trust in ourselves, but trust in Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen.